You are listening to NTC Messina's podcast, where our desire as a family of God is to simply know God, love one another, and make disciples. This morning, um, you know, want to kind of share a message with you that is something close kind of to my heart. It's something close to the heart of our church. The title there, if you've got your notes with you this morning, is Authenticity. And, um, you know, just was praying the last couple weeks around just what to speak throughout the summer and maybe what's God's laying on our heart just to kind of guide our communion. And I was just reminded of this thought here, and I was reading in James, and James kind of came to me. um, I was reading there just one morning. It wasn't even about authenticity, but I was reading this, and it kind of came from this first chapter in James. And I wanted to start by just saying, honestly, one of the greatest compliments that we get as a church is that people say, you guys are just real. And the the reality is, I think that's probably one of the greatest compliments we can get as Christians. Because unfortunately, in today's world, and maybe in Christianity for a long time, one of the downfalls is we begin to pretend to look like what we're supposed to look like, but we're not actually like. Did you follow that? We begin to pretend what we want to look like because we're supposed to look that way, but we're not actually like. And so we start to turn Christianity into something that is about what it looks like on the outside instead of what God is doing on the inside of us. And what happens in the midst of that is we lose authenticity. We lose this realness. And the truth is people see through that very easily. And in 2023, and the Western world that we live in, people are tired of fakeness. People don't want us to put on a show. They don't want us to act. In a world where the truth is we, we do it a lot, right? Instagram and Facebook and all these things, and we spend all this time trying to make our lives look a certain way. Actually, just this last week, I read an article about marriages, and it was a completely secular article, and it was saying that Um, When they did all these studies, a a college was doing these studies, that the more a marriage tends to put their relationship online, usually the worse it is. And what's happening is people are putting it online, these, these moments of like maybe being together or looking all in love. And the truth is they're trying to convince themselves of something that isn't fully true in their lives. And we do that, don't we? Not just in our relationships, but maybe in our own life. You know, I I see people that will take selfies, right? If you you ever look at someone's camera app or their photos app, they got 45 pictures before they decided one picture was going to go online. Because they're trying to get that right angle, that right look, that right view. And the reality is that's not real life. And sometimes we're doing it more to convince ourselves than we are even doing it to convince the world. But what it does is it turns us into inauthentic people. And I'm telling you, the world doesn't want that from us. And when I look at Jesus' life, I think he's probably the most authentic person that ever lived. That he lived according to who he was designed to be. He was God. Comes to earth puts on this human nature, 
and he models for us what it's like to be human, what it's like to be a son of our Father in heaven. He models what it's like to follow the will of the Father. He shows us how to live, and he did it in an authentic way. He wasn't faking it. There are moments when you read what Jesus says, you're like, whoa, that's kind of brutal, or that's harsh, or man, why is he saying it in that way, or moments where you're just not even sure. I think it's because Jesus was always going to display the reality of what was going on inside him. He was vulnerable. And he didn't do what the religious people wanted him to do. He didn't do what the secular people wanted him to do. He lived according to the way he was designed to be. And I, I think when I think about us as a church, or even when I think about myself as an individual, I don't want to fake what it looks like to be a person in this world. I don't want to pretend to be a certain kind of Christian, but yet on the inside, something's not the same. Or even maybe it's just simply pretending for a couple hours a week when we go to church. Honestly, that's the worst witness in the world for Christianity, just so you know. Someone who knows we go to church on Sunday, but then we don't look any different than the rest of the world the rest of the week. But that's not even the depth of what I'm talking about. I think sometimes we can simply be constantly putting on this kind of show of religiousness, but on the inside, something's still wrong. And I want to read to you um, James today. So if you have a Bible with you, I'm going to read the entire first chapter of James. If you have your phone, you can open up to it. I'd really like for us to walk through these scriptures together. We're not going to pick apart everything, but I want to kind of hit this whole first chapter of James and kind of pull some things out of there. James, I don't know about you guys, if you've ever read the book of James or the letter that James wrote, I, I like him because he's a little bit like me. He's probably a little too direct. He's really straightforward. He doesn't mince words. He doesn't beat around the bush. Some of his words are just kind of rude. And he gets to the point. And so let's start here in James chapter 1, verse 1. I'm going to start right from the beginning. It says this in verse 1. This letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm writing to the 12 tribes, the Jewish believers scattered abroad, greetings. I want to stop before I get any further. I want you to make sure you understand this letter. So you've got James writing a letter. Now he's writing it to the church, and we can obviously read it today. It's scripture, and in a sense being written to us. But its original context its original intention was for the 12 tribes of Israel, the Jewish believers. And there's a reason for this. You see, James was seeing the Jewish believers. So these are believers who, who grew up in Judaism. They understood, you know, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then they became believers of Jesus. They believed the Messiah had shown up. They put their trust in him, their faith in him. They were saved they were Jewish believers, but he was seeing something happening inside the Jewish believer group, not just all the believers, but specifically those who are Jewish believers, and he begins to address it. So let's get in and see what he starts to say. So verse 2, dear brothers and sisters, when trouble comes your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow, so let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. That scripture always blows my mind. Endurance. Perfect and complete, needing nothing. 
James literally takes endurance, he raises it to the top of the list and says, listen, in Christianity, if you can just stick it out, you're perfect and complete and eating nothing. If you can just push through the hard stuff. Verse 5, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver. For a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. Believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honored them. And those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. They will fade away like a little flower in the field. The hot sun rises and the grass withers. The little flower droops and falls and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all of their achievements. Man, that's a little rough. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they'll receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect comes down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word, and we, out of all creations, become his prized possessions. You still with me? We're going to keep going. Verse 19. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Man, if we could just get that down. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires, so get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your soul. So here we've got... James and he's writing and he's given kind of line after line all these directions and reminders to the Jewish believers. He's being pretty intense. He's talking about being rich and poor. He's talking about asking for wisdom and having endurance and getting rid of the filth and don't let anger take over your life. He's kind of just drilling in on a whole bunch of things. And then we get to this verse 22, which is very important. And he says this, but don't just listen to God's word, you must do what it says. Don't just listen to God's word, you must do what it says. What did you guys just do for the last couple minutes? You listened. And I love James here because he gets right to the reality of things. He says, don't just listen, but actually do the word. And I think sometimes in Christianity, what happens is we become professional listeners and really lazy doers. We listen every Sunday to someone who comes up and prepares a message or a sermon or we go to a class or maybe even we put on a podcast of something or we read a book. We're really good listeners. In fact, in this world, day and age in 2023... We know how to listen really well. We, we have all the information in the world available to us. 
Just this last week, I was riding with Jer, and we, I don't remember what we were talking about, and he, he quickly brings up some random thought idea, you know, we're like, oh, I wonder what this is. So you know what he does? He immediately pulls out his phone, and he Googles it. And in a moment's notice, we know the answer. And I laughed at that. As something hit me in a moment, because I said, you want to know what my life was like in 1997? I just had to wonder. I didn't know. I wasn't going to go to the library and ask the librarian for a book on such a topic, and then they would give us a book, and you would try to go to the index, and you would try to find the topic in the index. I started telling him about what encyclopedias were. He's like, what? You had a huge book you had to go through? I'm like, yeah. I said, when I, he was talking about his friends doing senior papers. He's not, he's just a sophomore, but he's talking about his friends doing senior papers. I said, when I did a senior paper, they said the internet was not a reliable source. So all of my information was not allowed to come from the internet. And I, and I thought to myself, isn't it weird? We live in a day and age where everything's available to us. And I, I saw this meme a couple years ago, and it said this. It said, isn't it funny we used to think that knowledge was the problem with the world? But now that all knowledge is available to us, we've realized it hasn't really fixed much. You see, knowledge isn't what's wrong with the world. The ignorance or not knowing certain things isn't always what's wrong. Often, what's wrong is just our ability to do any of it. Our ability to actually take what we've heard, listened to, understood, and allow it to be applied to our lives. And this is what James is addressing. And there's a reason James wrote this letter to the Jewish tribes. You see, they had spent around 4,000 years in Judaism following rules, listening to what the priests told them they were supposed to do and how they were supposed to live and when they were supposed to offer sacrifices and when they were supposed to do this and not do that. And they had listened, and even many of them had followed the rules. In fact, by the time Jesus comes around, there's 618 actual Jewish laws to following Judaism, and many of them would follow these, and they would follow them to a T. But what we see is it's not enough. Jesus comes on the scene and, and basically, now he says, I don't come to throw the law out. I come to fulfill it. But he says, the law isn't even the beginning of what God wants to do. And so there's this thing where he's writing to the Jewish believers because, you see, they had become used or grew up in a lifestyle where it was just about following some rules, but they were missing the main point of it. And it was easy for them to follow, fall back into that. To fall back into a reality where they were just maybe even putting on a certain way of doing something, but on the inside, it wasn't any different. Because even though James is addressing this reality, don't just listen but be doers, there's something much deeper in the doing that God is expecting from us. You see, the doing is is something that actually happens on the inside and then transforms the outside. It's not something we do on the outside and pretend to look a certain way. And there's a fine line, but there's a real difference. I always love this scripture that, that happens when, you know, Samuel, he comes to David's family, right? King David, he hasn't been anointed yet, and he comes to the family, and he goes through all these sons, 
And eventually he says, don't you have any more sons? He goes, oh, I guess I have one more son. He's out in the field. And David comes to Samuel and God speaks to Samuel and says, this is the, the boy that you're supposed to anoint as king. And there's a scripture that says God doesn't look at the outward appearance like man does, but he looks at the heart. This is a huge deal for us. If we want to be true followers of Christ, if we want to actually represent Christ in a world that's looking for life and hope and salvation and resurrection and transformation, if we want to represent God well, that means we don't just do something on the outside. We have to see God transform us on the inside. Let's keep going here. Don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says, otherwise you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. I like this scripture here where it says, you're only fooling yourselves. You know what's funny is when we put on a show... We tend to convince ourselves we look better, but the reality is this, everyone sees through it. Don't you? Don't you know when someone else is faking it? But then somehow we think when we fake it, we, we convince everybody that's the way it is. And that's, that's how the world works. Sometimes we literally are putting on this show, but the reality is we're only fooling ourselves. And I think that unfortunately what happens if in Christianity we do that, if we put on this kind of false pretense or we put on this coat of armor or we look in this certain way on the outside, but really the inside isn't any different, we're only fooling ourselves and what we're actually doing is now the world becomes disgusted with Christianity. So instead of having the effect on the world that we hope to have, we have the opposite effect. We end up convincing people in the world that Christianity isn't real, it's fake. It's just people waking up on Sunday and going to church and somehow getting convinced to give their money to some random thing. But the reality is when we actually let God work in us and transform us and people see the process of that transformation, it's unbelievable what happens. I want to move now from James to Romans and, and read another letter from Paul now. Romans 7, I love Paul. Paul is very real. Paul is vulnerable. He says it like it is. He often describes himself in ways that you would think you wouldn't want to describe your own self. It's funny because if you read Paul's letters at the beginning, some of the first letters he writes to the church at large, he starts by saying, I am Paul, an apostle sent by Jesus Christ. His last letter, he says, I'm Paul, the chiefest of sinners. And it seems like somehow the closer he got to Jesus, the, the more he followed Jesus' ways, the more he realized that God's grace covered him and he was kind of almost further is what it felt like, even though he got closer. That he started to realize even in his own self, he would start by calling himself an apostle and then he'd... he'd call himself the chiefest of sinners, and he made his way down, kind of realizing, I'm kind of a mess, even though I follow God. And I love this scripture in Romans 7. We're going to start 
in verse 16, or in verse 15. This is Paul. Writes most of the New Testament, and this is what he says. I don't really understand myself. That should make you feel better right there. For I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I'm not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But I do, but I do, but if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It's sin living in me. Don't we sometimes feel like that? I mean, it's almost a tongue-tied thing here. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Anybody ever feel like that? Here's Paul, an apostle, sent by Jesus Christ. And if I was writing letters that might even ever become scripture, I'm not sure I would be putting this in it. Like, this is what we remember about Paul. He's saying, I don't even understand myself. For I do what I don't want to do, and what I want to do, I can't do. And he goes on and on in this kind of vulnerable moment, just bearing the struggle and the war that's inside him. The reality is every one of us is in the same battle. That inside every one of us, There's a constant tension between our flesh, this worldly flesh that wants to cause us to do things we're not designed for. And then there's this tension between the spirit that now lives in us because we've accepted Jesus into our life. That's constantly trying to transform us back into the design we were always created to be. And it's constant. I'm not sure there's ever an end to it until we get to heaven. Now the the best part of that is that Jesus' grace is, is put on us. So his grace is on us the minute we receive Jesus, which means that when God looks at us, he sees Jesus' righteousness. He doesn't see our failures anymore. But nonetheless, if we go back to James' words, we still are called to be transformed. We're still called to be different. So that means there's this constant battle within us. And when we decide to cover that battle up, this is what happens to the people around us. They look at us, and they think, wow, that person's life is all together. And then they look at their life, and they go, mine is not. What's wrong with me? But the reality is, there's something wrong with all of us. Every human that's breathing on planet Earth has something wrong with them. Now, there is this whole thing happening in the world, especially in the secular world right now, that is trying to convince us there's nothing wrong with you just the way you are. I'm sorry, that's wrong. But it's okay that it's wrong because there's something wrong with all of us. What's wrong with it is when we act like there's nothing wrong with us and we shout over to the other side, there's something wrong with you. But what we're supposed to be doing is going, hey, look at this group over here. There's something wrong with all of us. But we have hope in the midst of it. And that's what Paul does. Look down. Let's jump down just a few more scriptures in verse 24. He says, oh, what a miserable person I am. This is Paul. 
I'm trying to do what's right, and I can. I know what's wrong, and I do it anyway. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that's dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. You see what Paul does? He models for us, I think, how we can be real good Christians in a world that is looking for hope and salvation and grace, where we bear our lives and we say, look, we're a mess too, but don't worry, we have hope. Thank God our hope is in Jesus Christ. Because there is those people that are just like, everything's terrible, everything's vain. I mean, read, you know, Ecclesiastes. And we can kind of look hopeless in this world and we're like, oh, life is always so hard and everything's so bad and nothing ever goes right for me. And then that seems to be where the story ends. That's not a good picture for people either. But it is okay for us to be like, man, life is tough. This thing happened to me. I don't understand it. I can't wrap my mind around it. I don't know what's going on in, this, in the middle of this. But I have Jesus anyway. But Jesus is my hope. And I think when we begin to act like that, the world actually is attracted to it. You know, years ago I read, I think it's in 2 Timothy, so I might be misquoting it. But there's a, a moment where Paul writes and he says, be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. And I remember reading that once and realizing, he says, be ready to give an answer. Which imposes the idea that someone asked you a question. Which means that your life causes people to question it. Which means when they look at us, that we shouldn't make sense completely. You know, we look at our lives, Jess and I, and, and, and it's not easy. I think sometimes people look at our lives and think, you know, everything's roses and rainbows and all this stuff. I try to make sure you understand that it's not. But what we see often in some of our greatest impact in the world right now is with families with special needs kids because they look at our life and we have two special needs kids that are very difficult sometimes and hard to raise and you get tired and you, you lose your cool and you don't do it well and you don't do it right and people see that but yet what they see is hope in the midst of that. They see a marriage that's lasted 19 years in the midst of that and it confuses them. They go, wait a second, I see you have something hard in your life but how are you still okay? And it begs a question for hope, an answer for that hope. And that's what Paul's doing here. He's bearing vulnerably the struggle he has inside. And then he says, but don't worry, I have hope in the midst of it. This is what authentic people should look like. This is what a church should look like. This is what we as individuals should look like. Let's jump now to 2 Corinthians 12. It's Paul, and he's continuing find it myself. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. Paul, there's this kind of storyline that we see actually come out in a couple of different um, Paul's letters where he writes and he talks about a thorn that he has. And, and just in Christianity, we refer to Paul's thorn in the flesh. We don't really know what it is, but he refers to this difficulty, something happening in his life that feels like a thorn. Now, it's probably not a literal thorn in his flesh, but we understand the 
the ideology of that, right? It's like something that's bothering him over and over and over. And, it's, and, and we pick up kind of Paul talking about that. In verse 8, he says this, Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time, he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now, I am glad to boast about my weaknesses. Think about that. I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses. Man, if America teaches us anything, it's not to do that. It's not to boast about our weaknesses. It's to look strong in every situation. It's to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. It's to push through. And now listen, there's nothing wrong with some of those things. Like, good, confidence is good, and pushing through is good. We just read James, endurance is good. But there's a reality here where Paul is saying, don't fake it. Don't fake it like this. And he goes on to say that I boast in my weaknesses, that I'm actually going to let people see the difficulties in my life. And then he goes on to say, that's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. And here's a famous line. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, this may be one of the most misquoted scriptures ever. Because probably what you're thinking is it says this, for when I am weak, then he is strong. That's not there. It's a dichotomy. It's a, it's a tension of like two different truths happening in the same sentence here. He says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. That doesn't make any sense, Paul. You can't be weak and strong at the same point. But in the kingdom of God, Paul is saying, yes, you can. In the kingdom of God, he's saying, when we actually embrace the weaknesses of our life and we even put them on display, then God does something in the midst of that and makes us strong. I think sometimes our biggest struggles in life that persist, persist because we keep them buried. But somehow in Christianity, when we expose our weaknesses, it's like the enemy loses all his power over us. So many times I've talked with people and it's like they come to the end of themselves with something maybe deep and, and kind of sinful in their life and they've been so ashamed of it and they've hidden it for years and years and years and then they kind of almost just comes gushing out. They'll confess it to me and, and you know, it kind of hits me and I'm, I'm listening and then they just feel incredibly free in the moment. And I'll tell you why. Because the enemy has been doing everything in his power to convince you to keep it buried because that's the only thing that actually keeps it in your life. Because when we expose something to the light, guess what happens to darkness? It just goes away. You turn light on, darkness is gone. It's just automatically gone. And it's the first step to actually bear our weakness to let see God do something incredibly strong in our life. And in the process of it, he makes us strong. You know, one of the values we have here as a church, if you've been through Next Steps, you would hear these values or been through our partnership thing is this. It's at the bottom of your notes. Jessica wrote this. What you see is what you get. I think that's one of the most incredible things. I'll tell you what. If I meet somebody and I'm not sure I'm getting who they really are, it always puts me on edge. 
I have a hard time trusting anything they say. I'm really wondering what's happening. This idea of what you see is what you get is incredibly powerful. What you see is what you get. That's the truth with Jesus. What you see is what you get. When you see in the scriptures how Jesus lived and how he loved and the promises he spoke and the things he did, he never said anything he wasn't willing to do. What you see is what you get. We believe Jesus' strength is made perfect in our weakness, and we are not afraid to boast about them. We wrote this in our Corvallis because we said as a church, we're not going to be a plastic church. My hope is that when people come in the door, they don't look around and be like, wow, these people's lives are too together for me. I don't know if I belong. I hope they come in the door and they go, whoa, this place is kind of messed up. This is a messy, these relationships are messy, these situations are difficult, and they look around because actually that is what is intriguing to the people of the world. Do you want to know why? Because their lives are kind of messed up. This is why people followed Jesus everywhere he went. And it's why the Pharisees came and hated him. See, Jesus isn't trying to attract more religious people. He's trying to attract his sons and daughters. He doesn't want us to turn into religious people. He doesn't want us to become the Pharisees of 2023 who put on our religion and go to church and look a certain way and say the certain things and act a certain way. But on the inside, I think Jessica preached on this a couple weeks ago in Augensburg. There's a scripture in Matthew 25 where he says, you look like whitewashed tombs. That's what he says to the religious people. He says, clean on the outside. But inside, you're full of dead man's bones. We don't want to be those people, right? We want to be a church that's authentic. We want to live authentic lives. And what that means is that at times, we actually bear ourselves in vulnerable ways. Now listen, there is totally something as TMI. But what it means is that there should be people in our lives that we actually expose ourselves to and we stand with and we walk with. It means that if someone's with us, we don't actually pretend to be something we're not. My wife tells me that often she's embarrassed by me because usually in public, whatever mood I'm in is what you get. So if I'm annoyed, guess what's going on? I'm going to be annoyed. You know, I did this test recently. We did this assessment in this class that we're actually going to be offering in the future called Discover Purpose. And what it does is this long assessment. Actually, it's like 45 minutes, 170-some questions, and I don't know if you've ever done any kind of those assessments. I actually enjoy them. They're fun. They're interesting. And I got back this huge, like, notebook that's all about me, and it was bizarro weird how honest it was. And on the back, there was this graph, and on the graph, they had these circles and everybody else had two circles on their graph, and I had one. And I remember looking around the room when we did this, I was like, how come I only got one circle? Like, people had a, a solid-looking circle with a color, and then they had a shaded circle, and it was usually in a different place on this graph. And I was confused. I said, why is, so I raised my hand. I said, hey, I only have one circle. They're like, you do? And they look at it, and they're like, oh, you do. And I said, well, why is everybody two? They said, well, this this, the way these questions are, it determines what someone is like when they're in public and then what they're like when they're not in public. 
you're no different. <laughs> so I had one circle, literally. I was like, <laughs> like, usually people change in public because they want to look and act a certain way or they want to be a certain way. Now, there was like a, a 3%, you know, the one now, it didn't actually show as a change in my circle, but there was this whole category that was, it, it was called relational, right? And I tried 3% harder when I was in public <laughs> to be relational, which is still embarrassing when I'm called a pastor. But the idea, the idea is this, we want to be authentic people, which means that in the right moments, we should be vulnerable and honest about our struggles and vulnerable and honest about what God's doing, because in the midst of that, people can see the hope of God's transformation in our lives. If you're struggling, struggle. Just don't do it alone. If you're doubting, doubt. Just don't do it alone. If you're trying to get through something that seems impossible, it's okay. That's what the church is here for. But when we try to bury those things and act in certain ways, we often don't make it through. I think really often what I see takes people out of Christianity is because they become reclusive in their difficulties or they get convinced by the lies of the enemy that they're not good enough because they're different than everybody else and their struggles are more hard than everybody else or they're, they're just worse than everybody else is. But the reality is, Every one of us is struggling towards Christ. And that's the heart that God has. Struggles are okay, but do it towards him. Difficulties and the transformation process, we're all in the midst of it, but do it towards Jesus. Why don't we stand this morning? I want to finish with this one scripture out of Philippians. This is Paul again. I... He says this, verse 12, it's one of my favorites. He says, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. I like this. He presses on anyway. That in the midst of things that are hard and difficult, there's this reality to press on. And this would be what I want to encourage you in this morning. One is... First, be authentic, be real, be vulnerable in the right moments with the right people. But press on. Don't let a lie convince you you're not good enough. Or, or even that this time around can't be different. Listen, many of us are on cycles of the same thing. First step, if you want to break a cycle, shine some light on it. Don't try to break it alone. The second step is believe that this time can be different. Press on. Let God work in you. Let God transform you. I want to pray for you today before we finish. I want to pray for two groups of people. One is maybe you're listening this morning and you're just simply going, I don't know if I've even begun to follow Jesus. Well, in a moment you can choose to start. At any moment in our lives, we can just literally voice this this desire to say, okay, God, I want to go your way. Jesus, I want your grace that you paid for on the cross. I want your forgiveness. I, I repent, which just simply means this. I'm going to turn from the way that I think and the way that I'm going, and I'm going to go your way. I want to pray for that group. And then I want to pray for the rest of us, that we would recognize that even in the midst of God perfecting us, 
which is what that scripture talks about, even in the midst of God transforming us, it's okay for us to be vulnerable. It's okay for us to actually bear it to the world in the right moments, and it actually brings freedom to others. I'm going to pray that we are a church that does that. Father, we just pray right now for every person in this room. God, every person watching online, I ask right now that your Holy Spirit would come in this moment, God, that you would put your finger on our lives in any way you desire. God, I pray for that first group. If that's you in this room or online where you just say, Jesus, I want to accept you for the first time, I would just ask you to pray these words. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I want you in my life. Jesus, I want to go your way and not mine anymore. So Jesus, I receive your grace. And for those of us in this room, if we've been Christians for a long time, maybe we've fallen into just this routine of looking a certain way and acting a certain way, but not letting God transform us. God, I pray right now that you would just kind of break those shackles off of our lives. God, that you would break any kind of religious spirit that we've even given place to in our lives that just wants us to look a certain way but not actually be different. God, we even repent as Christians for the moments that we've just tried to fake it to make the world think something that's not true. And God, we invite you into every area of our life. Jesus, we invite you into every place of our life. And we thank you for what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Listen, if God's doing something in you this morning, I would just encourage you, tell somebody. You know, we have people at the back ready to pray for you. There's always some leaders around. There's people at the Connect Center. I would just ask you, share with someone what God is doing in your heart right now. All right? Okay, be blessed. Thank you for listening to NTC Messina's podcast. We hope you join us next week and have a blessed day.